When I was in the seminary, I, had, I was in college still, and I had the opportunity to study abroad for a semester in Rome, which as a college kid was a great opportunity. Um, and we were living in a house, there was about 10 seminarians or so, and we were living in a house owned by the university where I went. And so it was seminarians plus lay men, college men, and also lay women, college women. So we were kind of a hunky-dory bunch, I guess, uh, there. And there was a guy who lived in our house with us. He was not a seminarian. And I didn't know him before we ended up in Rome together. And we'll call him Joe. We'll call him that because that's his name, Joe. And Joe is what I would have described back then as a scrawny little uh, theater band kind of booksy nerd. Now I'm a big band theater booksy nerd, but back then when I was a little one, I would have called him a meathead. You know what that means? Kind of a jock figure, you know what I mean? Sort of the antithesis to my personality. Uh, I didn't think we would be getting along at all. Everything that he was for me was sort of like we're each living a life that I just, the other one could not fathom living, you know what I mean? And so I was not very nice to Joe for the first couple of months that we lived together. And one day Joe came to me and he said, hey. I said, hey. He said, let's get lunch. And so I said, all right, you pick the place. So he picked this very well-known Italian restaurant called McDonald's in Rome. McDonald's in Rome is quite tasty in case you wanted to know. And we had lunch at McDonald's one day, and I was sort of curious as to why he wanted to have lunch with me. Uh, junior high Ryan was getting ready for his lunch money to be taken away or something. And he looked at me and he said, I know you think I'm a meathead. And I thought, was that out loud? <laughs> he said, you don't treat me very well, you're not nice to me, but you don't even know me. You've never had a chance to get to know me. I would like to be friends with you. I think we're very similar, actually. And yet, because of the way that I dress or appear or behave sometimes, you don't know anything about me. So I'm wondering if you would like to get to know me before you make your decision. And I was like, is this really happening to me right now? But Joe, to this day, he still lives in Minnesota, and he's one of my best friends to this day. I've been with him through thick and thin. He's got a little family now. In fact, he was dating a girl in Rome, and now they're married uh, to each other, and they have a beautiful little family. And he's just a joy to know. But so much of that relationship was based on the preconceptions that I had going into it. And it would have been a relationship, a beautiful relationship, that never would have happened. A friendship, a companionship through life, that never would have had a chance to happen had something drastic not happened to shake me from my preconception. I recognize that a lot of us come into a place like this, a Catholic church. We come on Christmas especially for a variety of reasons. Some of you are here because you're here every day, and this is just part of your life. Some of you may be at a Catholic Mass for the first time in your life. 
And I hope that you stretched beforehand because the calisthenics only get more intense as we go on. Get ready to kneel in a minute. Some of you, maybe Christmas is the time that you come back. It's a time of sentimentality that you remember from your childhood. And being in a place like this on Christmas with the lights and the flowers and the smells and the bells is comforting. And you're very welcome here. Some of you may be dragged here against your will for whatever reason. Maybe this is the last place you thought you'd end up today. I don't know your whole life story. I'd love to. But you're very welcome in this place. But I think that the secret and that the world needs to do, not as a collective whole, but you and me as individuals, we need to stop and check our preconceptions about God. It's true that God came to save all of us, but he comes to save all of us by saving each of us. And so sometimes we identify as Catholic because it's a tribal thing. Family's Catholic, our family's always been Catholic, and that's why I'm Catholic. Some of us look at Jesus and we pray to him, we call out to the Father, and it can feel like we're talking to an empty space. We've all been there, right? Where we have a desperate prayer and it feels like we are completely alone, perhaps in a dark room. We've all been in the position where we fervently desire a relationship or to know him, and we have that. Something happens, a word is spoken, something in the world happens, and there's a sign, right? I felt close to God then. This is the trouble about putting labels on things, right? That we don't want to just assign an identity to the Lord without actually knowing who He is. And I suspect that after 14 generations, 14 generations, that God was getting a little tired of watching the Israelites say, Yes, I love you, God. Let's make a covenant and then fall away from the covenant. And then, Yes, I love you, God. Let's make a covenant and then fall away from the covenant. Remember that every time the covenant is sealed, it's sealed in the blood of a lamb or of a bull or a goat in the temple. And God, in his own time and in his own way, he does something drastic. He doesn't send another messenger. He doesn't send another prophet. He doesn't send another patriarch. He doesn't create a new tribe. He doesn't do another exile. There's no new flood. There's no new Red Sea. There's no nothing like that. No Mount Sinai, no thunderstorm, no fire, no earthquake, no flood. Instead, God sends his own son to live our life and to die our death and to rise again as the first fruits of our own resurrection from the dead. And he comes to save all of us, but he comes to save each of us. But the trouble with living in our world, Aristotle says this, that we are by nature political people. We are talking to each other. We are in society with each other. And we influence each other, don't we? And if we're not careful, those associations can get out of whack and the priority can be disturbed. And so we can identify with the Lord or not, but in ways and for reasons that have nothing to do with Him because we don't even know Him. We have never met Him or we have met Him and we've judged him prematurely. But Christmas, you guys, is about this. It's about God in his own time and in his own way doing something drastic. 
yes, more drastic than choosing to eat McDonald's when you're living in Rome. He comes among us as one of us, being like us in all things except for sin. And I'm going to tell you that a lot of the things in your life that you struggle with, very few of them are actually like sins. Now we commit sin, of course. But the things that we really want companionship in, and actually the things that lead us to a lot of our sins, things like fear, anxiety, depression, sadness, things like abandonment or loneliness, things like difficult family situations. The difficult situations of life, if Jesus is like us in all things except for sin, and those things that I just named are not sins in themselves, then that means that Jesus is familiar with those things. And that it's, those things are not roadblocks to your salvation. They're not roadblocks. You've all heard someone say, maybe you've said it yourself. Well, <laughs> if I went into a church, you know, the holy water would start to boil. It would sizzle or whatever. If I went into a church, there'd be a bolt of lightning. If you hear that, I want you to look at those people in the eyes and say, stop taking yourself so seriously. <laughs> I'm going to tell you as someone who hears confessions, I know my brother priest will affirm it, sin is boring. B-O-R-I-N-G. Boring. Sin is boring. Sin is not exciting, and your sins are not that grievous. They do offend Almighty God. They do affect your life. But there's no one in this church who's that far away that the holy water is going to boil when you walk in. No, it's just that your desires are too puny, that there's a different way of life being offered to us, a life in which anxiety does not disappear, fear does not disappear, disease does not disappear, but suddenly the things that we thought kept us from fullness of life, those things finally begin to mean something. And instead of being an obstacle to abundant life, actually become the roadway to abundant life, the vehicle to abundant life, because he has transformed them. A few years ago, someone came to me at church, and they said, Father, I don't think we should say Merry Christmas at Mass. And I said, are you nuts? <laughs> That's what I said on the inside. On the outside, I said, hmm, why? And she said, look around, look around. It's not been a very merry year. There's not a lot of people who are very merry this year. Maybe they're not having a merry Christmas. And I don't know where this came from, but it is a thought that came to me that changed me. We're not merry on Christmas because our lives are merry, because everything in our situation is merry. A lot of you are dealing with loss this year, changes in your traditions this year, economic situations, political situations, family situations, school situations, relationship situations, that we could all have cause to say, I'm not feeling very merry this year, right? But we are merry, not because our lives are merry, but we're merry because something merry has happened to us. And this something could change everything about your life if you let it. That's the proposal for you tonight. This thing, this person, this Jesus, who is not an ideology, who is not aligned with a political party, 
who is not coming uh, from a textbook or some theological tome, but who is a person living among us in our midst, always, who is a drastic measure by the Father to come and get us, to rescue us from the deep yogurt of sin and death, to scoop us out of it, and to raise us to a new way of living. This drastic thing, person, is the reason that we are merry, and this merry thing could change everything if we would let it. John Paul II says it so beautifully, that when you dream of happiness, it is Jesus that you seek. When you dream of peace, it is Jesus that you seek. When you dream of a new way of living, it is Jesus that you seek. So did Joe and I leave McDonald's in Rome, hugging, skipping down? No. Two reasons. One, very hard to skip on cobblestone. Very hard. Two, relationships take a minute, don't they? Did Joe and I have a complete change of heart right there and then? No. But over the semester, we gave each other the benefit of the doubt. We were willing to be less petty about the little things about the other that bothered us. We decided to take a break from talking about each other to our friends and talk to each other, to learn about each other's families, to learn about each other's visions and dreams and goals. And over that semester and the rest of our time at St. Thomas, and now in these years since college, he truly has become one of my best friends and greatest companions through life. So the choice for us tonight, this Christmas, every single day, is are you going to hear the genealogy of Jesus and say Jesus comes from murderers and liars and prostitutes and thieves? I don't want anything to do with him. Are we going to look at the church with all of our opinions about it from our political worldview and say, ah, I don't want anything to do with it? That's fine. But do yourself the favor, beginning tonight, brothers and sisters, and begin to ask for the grace to see Jesus less as scary judge in the sky, to see him as less as a, a divine CPA in the bushes with the clipboard, keeping track of everything you do and don't do. Ask for the grace to see God the Father less as a disinterested old man in the sky handing out Werther's caramels in his cardigan. And ask for the grace to begin to see Jesus as the only true and perfect friend that you will ever have, the companion for the rest of your life, who will always be there, who will walk with you, who will run with you, who will crawl with you, who will laugh with you and cry with you and raise you up, who will fill you with peace whenever you ask. This is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, not God next to us, not God around us, not God. Sometimes God is with us. And if that truth could penetrate to the depths of your skepticism and doubt, brothers and sisters, your life would be different. I'm just telling you, your life would be different. You won't be perfect in one second. You won't be without doubt, without fear, without disease. I'm not saying that. But all the things you thought would keep you from him, they will all become avenues straight to it. Straight to it. Let me leave you with this image. At that same University of St. Thomas, there's a long kind of bridge that connects two buildings. And up above 
on the top of it, you can walk underneath it, but that's where they put the nativity. And all you can see every year of the nativity are the backs of Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the drummer boy or whatever. You can't see Jesus. But right in the middle of that group is a light which lights up all of their faces. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the light which shines in your darkness and which the darkness can never overcome. But you have to give him a chance. He's not a magic fairy. He's not a wizard. He doesn't bippity-boppity-boop his way through your soul. He desires a relationship with you which will change everything if you let it. So when you think about the darkness of your life, don't think about it too long. We don't want anyone crying right now. I'll certainly start to cry if I think about my own, right? But if you think about the difficulty of the year, the difficulty of your situation, whatever it is, and then you imagine, perhaps off in the distance, a ray of light, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one, and suddenly a light shining in your darkness, which your darkness cannot overcome. The word that St. John uses in Greek is that the darkness cannot comprehend the light then you start to be able to imagine why the shepherds in an instant began to sing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth right here with me. So brothers and sisters, we say all glory be to God on high and to the earth be peace. Goodwill henceforth from God to men begin and never cease. Merry Christmas, everyone.